0: Let's pray before we begin. Lord, as we put these things before you, Lord, all these meetings, we recognize that you are Lord and you are sovereign, that you are the creator and we are the creation. And we open up your Word, your God-breathed word. So I pray, Lord, for everyone here that it speaks to them and everyone listening online that it speaks to them personally. Lord, throughout the busyness of the week, I pray that we are able to push back for now, Lord, that distraction and to be totally focused on what you want to say to our hearts, what you want to say through your word. Lord, I pray that my mouth will be honorable to you, I'll speak words of life and truth, which is only to be found in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, in all of this, we desire to honour you. So, Lord, speak to us this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Now, imagine waking up one morning to a knock at the door. You go downstairs and open the door, and there's a rather smart-looking chap a nice hat on. And he doffs his hat and hands you a letter. You then see him go off, boards a waiting driver in a smart black car, and he drives away. You come in your house, you open up this letter, and it's an invitation to meet with King Charles III at Buckingham Palace what would your reaction be? What would go through your mind at a meeting with King Charles III? There's some gloomy faces looking back at me. Would you be saying, what an honour. What to say, or maybe you'd be like me, what to wear? What am I gonna wear to meet the king? Can you not shout out in Church of Honor? Now I put this scenario before a believer this week. And this was the response. I don't like him. He's not saved. I don't like his character. Because he's spoiled. Not only that, he committed adultery on his wife. I don't like him. And I said, how do you know all of this about King Charles? The response was, well, it's been on the TV for years. And I asked them, if your life was put on the TV, how would you fare? And I ask myself, how would I fare if my life was put on the TV? And I'll ask you, how would you fare if everything was on display? Now, last weekend, we heard four messages. The King's Commission, the church as the presence of Jesus, faithful to the end, And speak my words. Now, King Jesus has given us as believers a commission to represent him. To be faithful in this calling, and as Andy exhorted us, we are to speak his word. There was a lot shared last weekend. Is that true? It's like a grand meal, wasn't it? It takes time to digest. And considering what I was going to share this week, I just heard this still small voice saying, honor all men, honor all men. So you'll be pleased to hear I'm only sharing one verse initially, and here's the verse. First Peter chapter 2, verse 17, and it says this, honor all people. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honour the king. and me repeat that. Honour all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honour the king. Now, the context of this is really important. Peter was writing to encourage the persecuted churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And he's saying to them, remember... After Jesus' suffering, he rose from the dead and is now in glory. You can see what he's trying to do to them. He's pointing them back. This present suffering is nothing to be compared to the glory of what is to come. And he's pointing to Jesus. He rose from the dead and is now in glory. Turn with me, please, to Matthew ten eighteen. Matthew 10:18 Now, Jesus is sending forth the disciples. And he points them to the fact that they will be arrested, they will get in trouble because they will be speaking the truth, and the truth gets you in trouble. Amen? Is that right? And if you're a Holy Spirit-believing believer, um, you're going to get you in a lot of trouble. Now, Jesus says this, Matthew ten eighteen. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers, but... This will give you an opportunity to tell the rulers and other believers about me. See, the context here is standing trial. However, I don't believe it's limited to this. You could easily be having a cup of tea with King Charles III. And this will give you an opportunity to preach the gospel. Now, the gospel... It's not just to the homeless. It's not to just the depressed or the poor. It's to all people, to rulers, to governors, to kings, to all men. I feel that some have it in mind, well, I've got the gospel. I'm going to go out and just preach to the homeless and leave out your landlords or the police or the local MP or these so-called important people, professors and everyone else but the gospel is for every man is that correct now we as christians have been given the greatest of all honors i believe this with all my heart have a look in first peter 2:9 i'm going to have to unpack this a little bit first peter chapter 2 verse 9 because we know these verses well i want you to really consider what Peter is saying is taking the language, of course, from Exodus. He says this He says, You are a chosen people, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for He called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Now, we all know this verse very well. The question is, how does that affect you on a daily basis? And do you really believe this? I can say with all my heart, I really believe this. Look at it once again. It says, you, this is you, the believer in Jesus, are a chosen people. You've been chosen by Christ Jesus. Do you really sense that and feel that this morning? That he has called you out and called you here to listen to this word this morning. You are chosen by God, therefore you're allowed to smile. Say hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you believe it. You are not just a priesthood, but you are a royal priesthood. King Charles is royal. You are a royal priesthood, an eternal royal priesthood, because you belong to the king. Do you believe that? A holy nation, meaning you're set apart from everything else. You're God's very own possession. You are owned by Christ. When you put your faith and trust in him, you are not only a possession of Christ, but you're possessed by Christ inwardly in your inner man when it's filled with the Holy Spirit. That I can't think of any more of an honor that can be bestowed upon any human being ever eternally. Can you? And because of such, because of this, as a result, you are able to show others the goodness of God because he's called you out of this dark and dying world into his eternal and marvelous light. That is a privilege. That is sometimes hard to comprehend, but you must believe it. I want you, when you leave here this morning, to say, I am part of the royal priesthood. Amen? We're going to look at these four things. Honour all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honour the king. So the first one is this, to honour all people. It means simply this, to respect, to highly esteem. This is the correct attitude, to respect all people, regardless of race, regardless of culture, regardless of social standing, or faith, or none, or male and female. We're called by Christ to honor and respect all people. And here's the reason why. Turn to Genesis 1, verse 27. Genesis in Hebrew is called Bereshit. It means the origins or the beginnings, and it's a great place to begin, okay? If you want to understand the rest of the Bible, you have to begin at the beginning. Genesis 1, 27 says, So God created man. This Hebrew word is Adam, meaning mankind, okay? So God created mankind in his own image, And in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God made mankind in his own image and in his own likeness. God created them. When you're standing before human being, whatever the race, whatever the culture, sex, we have to bear in mind that God Almighty created that person that person's soul is eternal and that's what we're dealing with eternal souls and when we're looking at that person we need to be very careful because God has called us to witness to that person who's made in his image who's made in his likeness this is a powerful thing and we can forget this because we're so familiar with the world and familiar with division over so many things, which man is so good at being divisive, aren't they? Man is so good at being divisive. And you know, I was at Duckswood. we're looking at these war machines, war, war, killing, divisive, race, culture, language. Who's going to get the land grab? Man has become a monster at dividing But God has made all men in his own image, mankind. If we have this in our minds when we see people, we will see things very differently. We'll see our calling very differently. God has made man in his own image. And we've been called, it says, to honor all people. It doesn't say agree with all people, it doesn't even say love. People. Some people are just not lovable. They're annoying, and they you need God's love to love them. Is that true? So many people are smiling at that. Yeah, well they're not lovable. God didn't say love them. He said honour them, respect them, because I made them and I'm the creator, and you're not to honor all people. Now how are we gonna do this, James? <laughs> well, let's turn to James chapter one. Because I have discovered something very powerful. It's nothing new, because there is nothing new under the sun. I've discovered that if you listen to people, if you listen to people, you give people your time, they will give you their ear. If you give people your time, which is not yours, by the way, it's Jesus' time. In return, they will give you your ear. James 1.19 says, Understand this, my brothers and sisters. Okay, Remember, this is James. This is the brother of Jesus who didn't believe in Jesus and thought Jesus was a nutter. But he had a revelation when Christ revealed himself to him after the resurrection. So he needed some understanding too. And he lived with Jesus for 30 years. Understand this, my brothers and sisters. You must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And I must say, I failed at this many times. But the Lord has corrected me, and I've changed. Not perfect, but I'm somewhat different. I believe by doing this, by listening to people, you are respecting their humanity just by listening to people. Give them time. Let them speak. Don't try and get the whole gospel in in one breath. But to listen to people. I believe that this is both honouring to the person you're speaking with and it's honouring to God. It's respecting what God has said and it's respecting the person who's made in his image and likeness. As Christians, we're called to represent Jesus. Well, I know that. Consider that. When you speak with somebody about Jesus and you walk away, that's the last impression, sometimes for many, the first impression that they have of Jesus. We need to be careful that we leave a good impression. Amen? By the way, not everyone's going to say, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Okay? Okay? We need to leave with something respectful in our own character that we can say, Lord, well, I tried my best. I'm sorry I didn't convince these 50 Muslims. Well, I was honoring. I told them the truth in love. And they said, get out of here, you ginger nutter. However, we respect God first by giving people the truth, and we can do that in love. Now, the second one is this. Love the brotherhood love the brotherhood while we're to honor all people we are exhorted in scripture to love the brotherhood now the problem is with the word love is it gets thrown around a lot doesn't it um i used to love chocolate i have loved it a bit too much last night i think um I love this, I love this film, I lo- it gets thrown around, even in Christian circles, I love this, I love that, you must love this person because they say that they're a Christian, they gave their heart to Jesus 40 years ago, they've done nothing about it, but you must love them because they are part of the, and it just goes on and on and on, okay, almost a bit too gooey for an Englishman, okay, however, I think the word is very important here, Peter uses this word only twice. In fact, it's only used twice in the whole of the New Testament, this word brotherhood, okay? Let me just read you something, because the word brotherhood is important, okay? not separate from church. However, so there is a distinction. The Reverend A.M. Stibbs writes this. Christians are particularly exhorted to express love not towards one another individually, but towards the church as a distinct body or fellowship. Let me read that again. Christians are particularly exhorted to express love not towards one another individually, but towards the church as a distinct body or fellowship. Now, indeed, 1 John 4.21 does say that he who loves God must love his brother also. We agree to that. But there needs to be proof The proof that one is a brother is that he obeys the truth. That's the proof. The proof that he is a brother is that he obeys the truth. Very important. Turn with me to 1 Peter 1.22. Now, Peter says this, you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. You obeyed the truth of the gospel. You come to Jesus. He forgives you of your sins. He remembers them no more as far as the east is to the west. Okay? But then he says this, so now, because of that, you must show sincere love to each other as a brotherhood. That's the correct Greek. So let me read this again. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. There's your forgiveness. However, now you must show sincere love to each other as to a brotherhood. Love each other deeply with all your heart. You've been forgiven. Jesus says, well done. Now off you go, like a child. Well done, you've got up. We've brushed off the dust, you've been forgiven, okay? Off you go towards the brotherhood. Now, he adds this in verse 23, for you have now been born again. So Peter was saying, you've been born again of the Holy Spirit. Now you've got to do something about it. Now you've got to continue to walk in the Spirit and trust in God. And he's going to enable you to carry out the commands that he's given you. So because you've been born again, now you can love the brotherhood. You now have the ability to love the brotherhood because you have the Holy Spirit. Before, they were just annoying Christians. Now you will have a desire to meet with the brotherhood, a place to express that love, or to even prove that love. Now through the brotherhood, one has true fellowship, Fellowship, the Greek word is koinonia, simply means sharing Jesus together. And through that true fellowship of believers, one feels loved. It's not, you've just got to love me. You commit to a family, you commit to a body, and through that expression of Christian love, you feel loved because you are part of it. Can you see that? You're not just someone on the, on the outskirts, okay? I remember him one brother saying to another, he said, we're like cats. We can't be herded, okay? And he rather boasted about the fact. So what's he saying? He's a cat. He's not a sheep, okay? We can't be herded. No one's going to tell us what to do. We're not going to be part of a body, I'm not a sheep, I'm a cat, and cats can't be herded. Essentially, he's saying this, Jesus is not going to tell me what to do. That's a seasoned Christian who thought he was being clever. He's completely missed the mark of true biblical Christian fellowship, which is a commitment to the body of believers called the brotherhood. You see that? Completely missed the mark of what Christianity is all about. Now, I wrote this down last night. The shepherd laid down his life for the flock. And as sheep, we lay aside our individualism for the flock. Okay? The shepherd, which is Jesus, laid down his life for the flock. And as sheep, we lay aside our individualism for the fold. And that responsibility is on us, that we lay that aside. Jesus doesn't that He's done everything else. And we lay aside our individualism. So we are no longer independent Christians, but interdependent on one another. It's called the church. You're not individual limbs. We're part of a body of believers. Amen? Then he goes on to say, fear God. Fear God. Now, the fear of the Lord is reverential respect mixed with fear and wonder. Okay. it's the realization that you are a created being and he is the creator. Okay. You realize there's something more powerful than yourself. Um, I think some people find that hard to believe because it's been taught for decades now that there's nothing above you and there's nothing further from the truth, is there? It's that whole old Greek philosophy of humanism That there's nothing above you. There's no other power. You control your own destiny. You are your own man. Now, I think someone can even understand this by reading the Bible. And you go, well, there's a God and there's a creation. I believe that you can know it theoretically. I've known many Christians who have understood it theoretically. However, for the Christian, I believe that he must know this experientially. He must know that Christ has come into his life and something has changed. And if he is unaware that something has changed, I'll ask his wife and she will confirm it or deny it. Or ask the husband, Is your wife really changed or does she just put a brave face on at church? This is a way around it. But there must be an experiential change in your life. So something's coming, I'm different. I no longer have a desire for these things. I have a desire for God. I no longer have a desire for the world, but for the brotherhood. My time is not committed to myself, but it's committed to Christ. You see? Experiential. Why is this? Because God is relational. And God is challenging. Being part of a body of believers is challenging. It's all part of God's plan. How are you going to handle this? What are you going to do about it? How are you going to love one another? Simply this, you're going to have to lean on the Lord. If you want true biblical Christianity, you are definitely going to have to lean on the Lord and not your own understanding. Because when you get challenged, and I, I can tell you it's a challenge, nothing more than when I came into ministry. Yeah, I thought everyone loved me before then. It's not true. Okay? It's, you get challenged. And the pressure comes on you. And I found during lockdown, people had pressure on them. Some broke. Some folded. Some ran away. You see, when you're part of a body, when you're part of a family, there is a commitment there to the body of believers. Now, the result of this, the result of experiential Christianity, biblical Christianity, is this a life in continual submission to God. A life in continual submission to God. Now, this doesn't mean you're perfect, but you are aware now of God and the reality that you must change. It's that still small voice. Says you shouldn't be doing that, and you know what you should be doing. It's that lovely voice that says, Come back to me. It's that wonderful voice that says, I haven't finished with you yet. I have more to say. Anyone experience that? Yeah, that's God. That's we must submit to that when we leave school. When we start to earn money, get your own house or whatever else it is. Well, I've got freedom now. I can do everything I want. That's hard to put that back down when you become a Christian. Say, Lord, I'm going to submit to you. You see, if you had a physical ruler who's going to beat you in submission, or some of those poor Christians under the communist rule, right, there's the man there. He's beating you down. He's physically real. But here, you've got the freedom to obey and you've got the freedom to walk away. You have to make a choice whom you're going to serve and that choice has to be made moment by moment. I used to say daily. I don't anymore. That choice has to be made moment by moment. And when that pressure comes on, God will give you a way of escape because he's encouraging you. You see, the tempter comes in. Satan comes in and tempts you so that you will fail. God tests you so that you may pass. There's a difference there. He wants you to pass. It's almost as if Jesus is your greatest fan. He wants you to pass. He wants to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. That's his desire. Desire is not to beat you, but to build you up. And that's why he puts you into a church to build you up, to bring that dross, that old character of yourself, that stubbornness that you have. All of those things can be done away with in the body of believers through the Holy Spirit. I believe that. Because I've seen people change, I've seen myself change, seen family members change, seen individual change. But they have to be part of the body. Don't go church hopping. If you're not happy in this church, go. Go to another one and find one and commit to that body. But if you want to be part of this church, be committed. For Christ's sake, be committed. Now, turn with me to 2 Timothy, please, chapter 2. Now, Paul's writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. I like these letters to Timothy. Um, he's a pastor. He's probably in his early 40s. And he has this responsibility, and he needs encouragement and to be exhorted. And this is what the Apostle Paul says to him. It's all about God's truth. He says this but God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription. This is the inscription on this foundation stone. The Lord knows those who are his and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. See how many times the New Testament uses the word must? What that actually means is You must. You claim to be a Christian, you must do these things. All who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. Evil is everything that goes contrary to God. Put it simple. Stubbornness, I would say, is evil. Idolatry. Fornication. Arrogance. Even gluttony, I would say, is evil. Anything that God has said the opposite to. He knows those who are his and all belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. Now, the flesh wars against the spirit. We know this. But God's children choose to heed the spirit. That voice. When you heed that spirit, that voice, that's you making a good choice. That's when God is pleased and happy. You've you've done the right thing. You've made the right choice. We need to be blessed very fact that we can hear his voice. Amen? We can actually hear him. That is such a blessing. Jesus says this in Matthew 10, 28. You've got to remember that the fear of the Lord is reverential respect mixed with fear and wonder. We're dealing with God. And God is dealing with us. He's not the daddy in the sky, okay? With the teddy bear. That's not God, okay? Jesus says, And do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Hell preaching has gone out of the churches, not sure why. But a good dose of hell helps you along the way, I'd say. Jesus spoke it, the prophets warned about it, Jesus warned about it, and it is a reality. If you believe in heaven, you have to believe in hell. You may be uncomfortable hearing about hell, but you'll be more uncomfortable in hell, I promise you. Reverential respect for God and consider what he's done for you. That help? But his own son was obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now, we're going to finish with this. Number four, honor the king. Now, some translations will have emperor. Um, Domitian was the king. Nero was the emperor. Either way you look at it, both of them persecuted Christians, killed Christians, Okay. Now, Peter's writing to them to keep going, okay? Keep going, be encouraged, and don't forget to honor the king, the one who's throwing your brothers and sisters to the lions and kill them. You need to honor them. Now, why is he saying this? Well, as Jesus stood before Pilate, Pilate said, do you not realize I have the power to have you crucified? Jesus said, you have no power or authority over me unless it was given from above. That position is what we honor, not the person, okay? The position. You may not like the president or the prime minister. It's not the person that you're honoring, but the position that you're honoring because God has ordained that position. Whether they're doing a good job or not, we need to hold in our minds that won't the judge of all the earth do right? Believe me, he will, because he can only do good and he can only do right and he judges rightly. So bear that in mind, but we're to honor that position. They hold office, and God will deal with them. 1 Peter 2.13 says this, We honor the position for the Lord's sake. I'm not asking you to do it. But the Bible is saying, Honor this position for the Lord's sake. I've spoken against the prime minister, and presidents, and everything else. I'm going to have to change that. I'm very convicted by that. Okay? It's the position. It's very important to understand and differentiate the difference there. God has a position, and he's placed rulers, he raises up kings, and he puts them down. Okay? Whether they're doing a good job or not it's besides the point. God will deal with them. And I must say, for those who come against God... It doesn't end well for them, does it? Was it Mussolini who said, if there's a God, strike me down? He thought it was very cocky. Do you remember that? A few years later, he's hanging upside down in that market square, naked, hung, hanged. Better correct my English. Hitler didn't end well, did it? Pol Pot didn't end well. Chairman Mao didn't end well. Stalin didn't end well. It doesn't end well. Don't worry. God is a God of vengeance. He'll get his own back, okay? But we're to honor the position. Why? Because their position is earthly and temporal. That's it. Your position, however, is heavenly and eternal, if you believe it. The position that you're in right now is heavenly and eternal. Let me just cast your... Um, Mine's back to a text. Let me say something before that. Anyone heard of the preacher Leonard Ravenhill? Okay. Whenever it was, he was in London, and he saw these two sisters dressed the same walking down one of the plazas in London. And he said to somebody, who who are these two girls? And they looked at these two girls and he said, there was something about them. They had this walk about them. They walked, they were young girls, but they walked with confidence. They had an air of authority about them. Not arrogance, but authority about them. They held themselves well and they conducted themselves well. Who are those two girls, he said. They said, oh, that's Elizabeth and Margaret, the two princesses. Let me just read this for you again. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation and God's very own possession. You see, you've been chosen. And to be chosen by God comes with responsibility. I would say it's a privileged position that we have. I truly believe this, and I want you today to leave at least considering, is this a reality? By the way, it's an eternal reality, whether you get with the grips or get with the program or not. Why? Because God has said it, okay? You're a chosen generation. You've been called to do something for God. You're a royal priesthood. The princesses were royals, but you're a royal priesthood eternally. Consider that a holy nation you've been set apart for God you are God's possession that's what God's word says I'm not making it up Peter says we are not making up fancy stories cunning fables to win you over this is the reality and as a result you can show others the goodness of God because you're empowered by the Holy Spirit who has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light so as I finish up Let me ask you, how will you respond to the invitation for a cup of tea with King Charles III? Will you say what an honor it is to represent King Jesus? What to say on the behalf of King Jesus while he says he will give you the words to speak? What to wear? This is a big question. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says this. Man looks upon the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. This is true. But let's not major on the second. Let's major on the first. Man looks upon the outward appearance. You're going to be judged when you turn up at Buckingham Palace. As much as I love my Calvary brothers and sisters, I will not be wearing a Hawaiian shirt and shorts. I want to go as dignified as the driver that knocked my door and doffed his hat. I want to be respectful to honor all men and to show him that we have a message. We have a wonderful, glorious gospel message, which is God came down. Christ came to you to reconcile you Back to God. The thing, King Charles, that you're missing, with all of your wealth, and he's just gained 6.6 billion acres of land, there's one thing that you may be missing, which is a relationship with Jesus. And you can have all of that wealth, but be far from God. You can have all of that wealth and still not be satisfied. I would say to him that Christ died for you and that your kingdom is not eternal and his is eternal. And he wants to reconcile you back to your father in heaven. He died in your place when you should have been on the cross. The world hated him. However, he loves you and died for you and bled for you that you may have life and life eternal. That's our job. You are the royal priesthood who has been given this position. Whether you feel it or not, you've been called to it, to honour all people, to love the brotherhood, to fear God, and to honour the King. Heavenly Father, I pray for this message to be sobering, convicting, Encouraging and Lord, life changing that you have called your people out of darkness into your marvelous light that we may represent the King, the King, eternal Jesus Christ. Lord, may we take this message to heart. May we believe that we've been chosen. May we believe that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And Lord, may we believe that we are your very own possession bought by the blood of Christ. As a result of this, Lord, may we be representatives in the holy, heavenly way for the Lord's sake. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.